You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Melissa McGill. Melissa, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thank you for inviting me. Melissa, we're going to talk about your show, Currents, uh, which just recently came down at TOTA. It came down on October 22nd, 2022. Um, so let's talk about this show. This is your second solo show there, and um, and it seems to relate also to a public project that you did a while ago. Is is, is that correct? Did it relate to the public art project um, of of wave paintings, or is that just me? No, um, I think I have a simultaneous studio practice and public art practice. So um, they, I think everything flows together. And actually, it really does flow together because the theme here is largely about water. So let's talk about that theme because, yeah, water is approached in so many different ways here um, uh, in a number of different works of different sizes, uh, different mediums almost it looks, it looks like, sculptural and, and otherwise. So um, can you tell me a little bit about I guess the title of it to begin with, Currents, because that's a theme you're exploring, right, as, as you're saying, that, that runs through a number of works of yours. But yeah. in this show, we're, we're looking at paintings and also a few sculptures, right? Yes, that's correct. So um, I was thinking, when we were thinking about the title of the show, I was thinking Currents could refer to you know, the movement of water, but also something about currents, like current events, like current, the current moment in time. And um, throughout the show, there are a lot of gestures explored, as you said, with different materials. So it ranges from works that are um, video-based, and there is a work that is a moving painting. It, um, is, um, there's a fan that moves this painting, um, called the sea um, in space. And then there are paintings on the wall that are with indigo, um, made with indigo pigment that I make. So there's a, there's a, there's a wide range. There's glass works. There's a lot of different materials. But I think that, you know, they all come together in exploring water's inclinations and sight, sound, reflections, movement. Um, and there's something about all of them that explores the calligraphic evidence of um, the gesture of water. So I was really, I live near the Hudson River and I have for over 15 years. And so I take almost daily walks by the river. And so there's a lot of that motion and the weather and the changes of the river over time and through, you know, all these years that I'm watching it and that I'm having a conversation with it that have become part of all of these works. So I feel in a way that I am translating my experience and, and, and kind of conversation with the river into all of these works with these different materials. I really like that. So let's talk about your conversation with the river. Where is it that you walk and, and have this conversation? I, I, I kind of love that idea because that's the source of all of this, right? Yeah, so I live in Beacon, New York. So it's um, north up the Hudson from New York City, about an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes. And so um, I feel very grateful to live 
very close. So I can go, you know, in five minutes, I can be down at the shores of the Hudson River. And there's various different points. Like I have some places that I go to regularly, Little Stony Point, um, which is uh, in Cold Spring, the next town south, or um, Long Dog Park and Beacon. There's trails. There's all kinds of, there's Dennings Point. There's all these different um, trails and beautiful meanders along the river. And as I said, I go throughout the year. So I think that's really important because sometimes um, I go down there and there's it's kind of, you know, just prisms of ice, you know, pieces of ice and you can hear it. It has a voice, you know, when the water is lapping, it's filled with ice. That's one thing. And then in the spring, um, you know, there's many beautiful days where all of the light the light leaves and the new, the new growth is reflected in the glassy river, like with, you know, practically no waves or then you get to go down there and it's very stormy. And, you know, so I go through the year um, and experience all the moods. Lately, a lot of the paintings have been uh, the movement, the gesture in the paintings, especially in this show is very stormy. I think that's appropriate for the time. I like that. That's so true. And, you know, I, I suppose it can reflect so many things. So, um, yeah, stormy paintings reflect something of the times, and, and it's also uh, reaches back to something ancient as well, right? It, yeah. Reflecting on yeah. nature itself. There was um, a public talk you did in the, in the gallery that I um, listened to, and that was also about the idea of indigenous lands, right? Uh, what yeah. what what water represents. Water is the one thing that seems completely unchanged, or at least in the way you're painting it, right? We don't see, um, as I remember, landforms or other, other markers that would let us know uh, what, what age we're in or what year this is or, or even where these are, correct? Yeah, that's a wonderful comment. No one said that. I really appreciate that. Um, I think that, yeah, I'm thinking a lot about the, our reciprocal relationship with water, of course, with the landscape, with like all beings. Like I, I, I really, um, you know, feel that it's incredibly important for us to care for the environment and our, um, have that reciprocity. We need it. We, you know, we are, but we need to be the stewards for all of these, um, for water, for land, for all beings, for all natural you know, we are part of nature. And I think often about how um, we are so largely water. I think we're over 75% water, right? That's what we are made of. So then um, I think that when we are near water, I think one of the reasons people have such a, um, you know, people like the sound of water, a gurgling brook or the ocean or to be by the seaside. I think that's because the water in our bodies communicates with the water out of our bodies, you know, so there is this fluid kind of conversation between what's inside of us and outside of us. And that's what the breath is, too. It's like we are we are connected. I think we sometimes have this idea that we have edges, but we don't have edges. Our skin is porous. We're breathing in and out. That's like the tide. So I see all these relationships between us and between all of us all together, like everything interconnected. And in the work, um, in the paintings, in the glass works that were in the show, in the um, these works called Box of Waves, in the, the painting that I described that's moving in space called The Sea, all of these works um, have, are very dynamic and um, have a kind of animated active energy 
that I hope um, the viewer engages with. That's really important to me. Let's talk about that uh, piece you just mentioned, Box of Waves, which I really love. Yeah. So this is a, a box that you look into um, that, that, that also has these kind of movements in time. That one feels a little more, you know, magical almost than the rest. It has this, uh, you know, it's like opening a box of, of treasure, right? You'd expect a box yeah. like that maybe to have gold in it or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that because I love that, and that's a whole different viewer experience, right? We're looking down and inside, yeah. and it's yeah, yeah. That that's wonderful. Um, the box of waves series. There's um in the show we have three different ones, and they each have different titles, and they're each different sizes. But the experience is it's a black box um, that is oak and that is very beautifully made and. You, um, it's closed. You know, in the gallery, we had to have them open. Um, but actually, the experience really um, that I love is when they're closed and you hear the sound of the water and you go up and you open them. And then you are met with this um, kind of fall into this work where the, the bottom of the box is moving water. And so it's a video um, on a very high-definition screen, and it's a loop. So the experience of it is you open it, you hear it, you open it, and you kind of fall into it. So there were three different ones in the show, as I mentioned. And they really do capture a moment in time and express this ongoing dialogue. And it's like opening a portal into a moment, you know. And one of them, uh, two of them were filmed um, near where I live, and one of them was filmed in a recent trip to Iceland. It's glacial water. Um, I just couldn't resist that. I thought all of them would be Hudson River based, but then when I um, recorded this on the side of the road in Iceland, this glacial water, I had to include that, especially because I thought it's so timely to include that in this ex exhibition. One of them, so that one has rushing glacial water. One of them has like shadows and ice moving. Um, like, you know, a dramatic uh, dark shadow of the mountain actually across the river. But all you feel is like this dark and light undulating with the waves and then the ice, little ice flows across. And that's from a high viewpoint. Um, and, the, and another is a closer view of a very bright blue sky on a beautiful, um, crisp, cold day with a lot of ice in the river. And you really hear the sound of the ice speaking in that one. I love that. I have to ask a little bit more about Iceland. So, you know, we were talking about a dialogue with, you know, um, river and beacon, um, but now you're in Iceland or we're in Iceland. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's a whole different world that, you know, I think of that as a world of like, you know, fairies and gnomes and you know, yeah. Bjork, of course. It's my kind of place. It's my kind of place. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was that like in terms of the dialogue with water there? There seems to be a whole different energy happening in, in Iceland. I, I was there once in the summer, but um, yeah, it seems to be something very special there. Well, I think in Iceland, um, I've been there. This, is, this was my second time, but this was really a fuller trip than the first time I went. This was with my family, and we actually camped in a, in a van for five days driving the southern coast. And it, it was really, truly magical. I mean, the thing about Iceland is that you feel geological time in a whole different way. And there are... 
you, you can just feel the presence, like the, the, the kind of animated life in the landscape in a very real way, a very deep way. Um, I really can't wait to go back. Um, I was the last one to get sick of the van in my family. <laughs> I could have, like, driven in that van all over for weeks and weeks. Um, but I, I think I liked the van camping the best in my family. But um, every you could stop anywhere, anywhere and um, see something absolutely breathtaking. And I also really appreciated how in Iceland – there's a very respectful, reciprocal, again, I'm going to use that word again, relationship between um, visitors, uh, you know, people who are visiting a site and respect for this, the landscape. So, for example, some of the really famous waterfalls, you'll drive in, there's, um, there's always, you know, a good parking lot. They make it easy for people. It's like very user-friendly in that way, like in terms of not the landscape being used, but in terms of like facility. And then there's a designated area where people are invited to walk. So it's not everybody just traipsing all over the place or littering or, you know, a lot of things that you see in a lot of uh, places that people are invited to visit and um that are really wonderful around the world. But this is, they actually really define, like you, people walk here and then the landscape is respected here in itself, you know. So it feels like you get a wonderful view, but it's also preserving. And that balance, I think, is something that they do really well in my experience. I really appreciated that. I appreciated how uh, forward thinking that is, you know. Yeah, yeah, that sounds wonderful. Um, exciting. I, <clears throat> I'd love to go on a trip like that myself. So uh, speaking of that, of also public projects, which you've done several, I'd yeah. love to talk about uh, one that you did just before the pandemic, um, which was Red Regatta. Yeah. This is a really beautiful project, and it seems from another age since that was before the pandemic in uh, 2019, I believe. But it also yeah. seems... Um, like a very complex project. Uh, you know, yes. I'd love to ask a little yes, bit about Yeah, very complex. How, <laughs> yeah, how you pull that off because of all the, you know, there's, I've, I've talked to different artists who have done something in Venice outside the biennial that was uh, maybe a collateral project or not, and it always seemed that there was an enormous amount of red tape, uh, you know, and difficulty in just getting it done. Yeah. So I know you had collaborators on this, but still you're the, you're the visionary and, and the one who executed all this. Um, and, and this, of course, was, you know, a project of large regattas, uh, uh, you know, sailing with these hand-painted sails. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and, and particularly, like, uh, from, from kind of idea to, to, to then it being finished? Um, uh, it, yeah. it just seems like a kind of heroic amount of work there. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it was very challenging. Um, but I, um, well, we could talk, about, I'll try to make this short because we could fill up much time with the story of Red Regatta. Right. It was very involved. But um, yes, it was an independent project um, that I did in collaboration with the Associazione Villalterzo Venezia, which is a boat club dedicated to the Villalterzo tradition. And I worked with a curator named Gerespangaro with a project manager uh, named Marcella Ferrari. And um, 
worked, it was co-organized by Magazzino Italian Art with support from Mazzolini. And I like to start by telling you all that because it's really important to understand how deeply collaborative this project was. Like without any of those people I just mentioned, um, I don't know how we would have done it. Everybody had a really important role. And it is, and I am somebody who um, loves to collaborate um, on projects where we can share an experience, a meaningful experience um, that, yes, raises awareness or creates an, uh, an experience that we can have together that has ongoing long-term positive impact. And that's a really important part of this because I think um, the energy of this was so great that it made it kind of unstoppable. <laughs> I think that's kind of how it happened. Um, it took two years. My roots with Venice are very deep. I lived there from 1991 to 93, and um, I speak Italian. I learned to speak Italian in Venice, so I have a little of a Venetian kind of inclination to my Italian, which helped a lot in this project. And I went there after graduating from Rhode Island School of Design, um, right after I went to Venice. And um, I ended up, like I said, staying for two years and met a lot of Venetians. And that community, really, those friends are still, they were, you know, they, they're, they're still people that I um, am very close with. So I have a, it's kind of my second home, Venice, at this point. And um, I've gone back and forth my whole adult life. It's a very special place for me. So I think that um, this project was born out of listening. It was born from hearing my Venetian friends and community speak about the issues that they were facing with the city, whether it's um, rising seas and climate change and mass tourism and ever-increasing ever motorboat traffic, environmental issues that were I saw in, you know, it's really personal. I saw the changes in the city throughout my adult life. It's like I, I saw it happening. And at some point I, um, I decided, you know, to do a project called the Campi, which we won't have, I don't think, time to talk about today, but people can see on my website. That was a sound project about recording the sounds everyday sounds, ambient sounds in Venice that I also did. There's an, it's a different, it's a box project that came before the box of waves that we spoke about. But then um, in doing that project, I had the completely wonderful, um, lucky moment to meet the president of the boat association that I'm speaking about, the Associazione della Terza Venezia, named Giorgio Righetti, who's since passed away. But I met him doing the previous project, and Emily Dickinson, I think she said something like, luck is not chance, you know. So I met him, and he started telling me about these boats, and I went in his boat, you know, for something we were doing with the Campi Project, and I just fell in love with these boats. And I immediately responded to how their site specificity and their – they are – a sustainable tradition in Venice that needs to be celebrated. And, you know, people know about gondolas, they know about vaporettos, the water buses, but they don't, I don't think that people outside of Venice know that much about the Vela Alterzo, so, especially in the United States. So I um, started doing research about this sailing tradition, and something really interesting about these boats is that the mast, um, you can put it up to sail in the lagoon, and then you can lay it down in the boat 
like pull it out and lay it down to pass under the bridges and row the boat or, you know, some of them have small motors um, or electric motors even. Um, so you can, it's adapted to the city. You know, you can go under the bridges and through the city and then you can go into the lagoon and you can sail. So for Red Regatta, we, um, I staged four large-scale regattas of these boats, each with hand-painted red well, wait, wait, let me, let me just different shade of red. Let me just understand, they go into the city and then the sails come down and they kind of yes. grow and then, oh, yes. I see, I see. So they can oh, take okay. the mask down and they can then pass, because you couldn't pass under the bridges of Venice with the mask up. Right. So they lay the so mask, the mask down comes in the down. boat. Yes. And then they can row through the city and um, get to, you know, get home or whatever. So it's like, it's adapted to the city very specifically. And very beautiful. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So, so, so go on, but you were finishing with okay. that. Okay. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to um, set up what the project looked like. So um, we sailed four large-scale regattas of 52 boats each, and each boat had its own hand-painted red sails. We, we, I developed a color for every boat and assigned it a different shade of red in my studio in New York. So wait, this is over 200 each, boats in total? No, the 52, 52 boats. 52 boats in total. Oh, okay, so yeah. let's go on, right, and then, then you hand-painted all the sails. But um, each boat has two sails. <laughs> so it was right, right, right. four sails. <laughs> um, so we painted, I organized a workshop with students um, from Universita UAB di Venezia, which is an art and architecture school, and we had students um, for credit for school. They came and helped paint the sails, and also many sailors, um, you know, came and helped. We painted all the sails, each one a different shade of red, and, that's, and then we sailed together in four different areas of Venice over, um, you know, the first one was in May, and then the last one was in September, mid-September. So over that time period, we had four different dates where we sailed together in different areas and activated different areas of the city. That's fantastic and, and, and so exciting. Um, I'm glad we spoke about you probably, that. Links. You probably want to know why red, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, that way I was going to ask that. Yeah, why red? I mean, it looks gorgeous. It's a beautiful color in, in the whole landscape <laughs> yeah. and in the documentation of it. Yeah, why red? So red, um, I, red is a color that has tremendous associations, both emotionally and in terms of, you know, and, and, and in terms of physical, you know, references. So red rep can represent life force, passion, love, but also alarm and warning. So it was the perfect color for this project because it both celebrates the life force and the energy and that, like, passion and love, as I said, and then also has many references physically to the city. I mean, you find red, you know, like in the, the terracotta rooftops, the, the Venetian flag, um, the use of, you know, red velvet in all the museums. You know, you, you have the Tintoretto and Tiziano paintings. You have, like, you know, the geraniums you see around the city and people's uh, flower boxes. I mean, there's, so, there's a million references to red that are physically in the city, but it's a very emotionally charged color and contrasts beautifully with the blue-green waters of the Venetian Lagoon. 
I love that. Um, Melissa, it's great talking to you about all of this. Uh, it's so exciting. There's, of course, more links here so listeners can uh, look more into everything we're talking about through your website and the gallery. I want to ask you one more question off topic, which is what are you reading at the moment? Well, I am really immersed in Meredith Monk right now because I just finished an incredible workshop with her um, at the Garrison Institute near where I live called Voices Practice, Conjuring Connection in Challenging Times with Meredith Monk and Ellen Fisher, her longtime collaborator. And so I, um, I just finished that on Monday afternoon, and it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And um, she is a force. And I, so I'm reading a lot of her interviews right now. That is what is on my desk. And also um, Joy Harjo, a beautiful new book called Catching the Light, which um, I'm so inspired by. So that's on the desk at the moment. Melissa, thank you so much for talking to me today. I wish you well with your future public projects and gallery work. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.